This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Here comes Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here, as we always do. How are you doing, Rich? Oh, what a question. <clears throat> what a question, Brendan. Um, Got to shout out my man Logan Mayville uh, oh, yeah. at Mayvillain on Twitter <laughs> for commenting on my much neat, you know, my extremely elaborate, unnecessary responses to this question. I am taking the question seriously. I will continue to take the question seriously. Um, and I don't really have an answer today. Uh, as Logan points out, I appear to be at a crossroads in my life after each <laughs> Kings game and emotional crossroads. And yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how I'm doing, but you know what? Let's figure it out together. You know, how do you feel about Kent Bazemore? Can we start there? We know how you feel about Trevor Ariza. Well, I know how I feel about the game last night. So let's start there, and it is we'll move on very quickly. But I know that the Kings were blown out in Salt Lake City, 123-101. It never even really felt that close. Uh, it just felt like this thing was... Um, done in the first quarter honestly so we don't need to get into it um Bagley actually started a little bit he started strong but then really fell off um we'll go back and I couldn't even bring myself to watch the full game uh, I know that you weren't able to catch this one either we'll, we'll go back and watch it at some point there's some interesting Marvin Bagley at the center minutes some maybe some things to be learned there but again going up against Gobert uh, yeah, this one I'm going to say is, is there's nothing to learn. So yes, but let's move to the trade. Do you have the details of the trade in hand? I, I have Sam Amick's tweet in front of me where we have the Kings sending Trevor Ariza, Caleb Swanigan, and Wenyan Gabriel to Portland for Kent Bazemore, Anthony Tolliver, and Portland's second rounders in 2024 and 2025. Yeah. Um, instant reaction there? Um, I was, I mean, like the main name this took out to me was kind of Wenyan Gabriel, interestingly. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Like they, I, I know that Ariza clearly Portland needs a three that can kind of at least attempt to guard the elite threes that are in the Western conference. Um, so it, I mainly saw it from Portland's side, and it's nice to get two second-rounders back, I guess, for Trevor Reza, and you get a serviceable role player in Kent Bazemore. 
Yeah, um, this trade has not been made official yet. It will not be made official until the 21st, which is Tuesday. Uh, and I wonder if those picks will have any protections. That That's kind of a weird thing to ask, but huh, yeah. it does happen. It does happen. There are sometimes second rounders that get protected. Um, it wouldn't shock me if there was some weird protection on one of them because it does kind of feel like a lot for Ariza. Um, well, the Blazers were the highest team uh, into the tax, and they're saving about $12.5 million in salary, according to ESPN, and that's written by uh, Jason Quick, who covers the Blazers for the Athletics. So I think that was a main portion of it here. Yeah, I guess that's not straight-up salary. That must be with, with the luxury, luxury taxes. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess they're just paying to to get off of those picks. But I agree with your first initial reaction, which is like, ah, oh, man, Wenyon's in this deal. That, <laughs> yeah, that kind of bummed me out. Definitely. I mean, you were uh, you were definitely pushing for him to get some of the minutes here. At, I mean, we've seen him play anywhere from the three to the five, really, and. Uh, He's been knocking down the long ball. I think he's been great in his time in Stockton and never really got a chance in Sacramento. So, I mean, mainly I hope that he can break the rotation and what is a really injured front court going on in Portland. Yeah, he, I mean, he can really shoot the ball and that is valuable. I was hoping that the Kings were putting a premium on the players they brought through Stockton. Uh, they did right by him by giving him an NBA contract this year. I would have liked to seen him get a little bit more of a look at times. Um, and I do, I do believe in his potential. I don't think that I'm certainly not going to sit here and say the trade is, is not a good trade simply because Wenyon was involved. But yeah, I mean, the, the problem is that I could see Wenyon being more serviceable than you know, some random second round pick in the future from Portland. So it's, it just, it takes a little bit of, takes a little bit of the wind out of my sails. Um, and yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I, I think Caleb Swanigan was, I feel a little bit justified in believing that the Kings were not going to cut Swanigan. They were going to find a way to trade him. They would have found, like, I think if you remember, I said this before, like a few times that, the Kings don't cut bait on, on contracts. They, if they sign someone to a contract or pick up an option on Scal and trade him for another player who's under contract, they will find a way to use that contract. And that to me is kind of a stubborn stance to take when you could have just cut him if you needed to, but it felt like they would have found a place for Swanigan to go eventually. It's interesting. He's going back to the team that drafted <laughs> him and eventually traded him. Yeah, the Trailblazers and the Kings traded straight up Swanigan for Scalabissier, and now the Trailblazers have both Swanigan and Labissier sitting on their roster. So, yeah, that definitely is interesting. But the main headline of this really feels like Trevor Reza for Cam Baysmore, right? Yep, absolutely. Um, it's The rest is kind of shuffling of pieces. Although I will say I, I kind of think that I'll get into it later. Maybe we can get into it with Chris Kirshner. But if there there are certain trades that actually get harder for the Kings to make without a kind of just a a matching low salaried body, like Wenyon would actually work really well in a trade to Atlanta for a guy like 
you know, Alan Crabb before he was moved, and now Evan Turner. Both of those players are just out of the range to match Deadman one for one. That's interesting. That's a really good point. Um, and like you said, we'll dive into that a little bit later. But talking the main differences between Bazemore and Ariza, um, I mean, the first thing that sticks out is that Bazemore is a 2-3 and Ariza is really a 3-4. Like Bazemore has more ball handling ability to him and a little bit less size as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is... Another potential downside to the trade, I, I think I'll get into this later, but I, I overall think this was a decent trade. But one potential downside is losing a body. Like we talked about as recently as our last episode, we talked about the need to just have a uh, a big wing on the roster. Like we talked about Ariza, his big benefit was not so much how he was playing, but just how it's hard to replace a guy like that. Do you, do you see that as an issue at all here? Um, I somewhat do, but I, I don't mind Bazemore playing that three. I, I, I just think that as long as the pace can sting, continues to stay high, I see this as being fine because I think Bazemore can play the three and benefit over Ariza as long as it's in a high-paced offense. Um, because he is a little bit smaller here, and I guess Bogey is going to be asked to do a little bit more of three duties at times on defense, potentially. Um, so I'm not the biggest fan of that, but I think if if they are playing with pace, that Bazemore is definitely more beneficiary to that than Trevor Ariza. I definitely have a problem with Bazemore playing the three. Um, he's, I mean, not, it's not the, the end of the world. the is the thing, you know? But the, I just don't get it. Like Bogdan Bogdanovich is not used to play the three. Despite right. there were times when the Kings desperately needed a three before Trevor Ariza, before Harrison Barnes joined the joined the team. Like they just needed a body, anyone at all that could put, play the three. Bogdan is listed as two inches taller than Bazemore, uh, twenty five pounds bigger than Bazemore. I think Bazemore is smaller than than you may think, and he's kind of been forced to play the three out of necessity in the you know injury decimated Portland lineup this year but I don't think that he's really an ideal anything near an ideal size to play the small forward position um yeah I, I think that's fair but when you're defending backup threes I don't think that Sacramento is going to struggle all too much in that regard and the main thing for me is that he's a more well-rounded player than Trevor Ariza was. Um, Trevor Ariza was very strictly 3 and D, and we both know that uh, both of those aspects were not there at all times this year. And now, I mean, Bazemore is career lows and practically uh, across the field. Field goal percentage, three-point percentage is not looking great for him. But I think his ability to uh, create plays and really make something happen off the dribble is going to be a little bit more kind to Luke Walton's system. Um, I, I know Omer Khan. Whoa, 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 whoa. Luke Walton has a system? Right? I've, I definitely have had a lot of people saying this to me. Omer Khan has po- pointed out that Ariza is running a pick and roll way too often. And I am much more comfortable with Bazemore doing that than Ariza. And I think the ball moves left to right. And whoever has the ball in their hands uh, tends to end up running a pick and roll. And I would much prefer Bazemore doing that over Ariza. All right, how many possessions a game is Trevor Ariza running a pick and roll? Hmm. 
Because I, I don't feel like that's much. Right. Probably four. Right. Should, should we pause? Um, should we pause to to look this up? I can look this up pretty quick. But if you can, yeah. Yeah, I can do that. It just doesn't. I. It doesn't feel like that's really what he's doing that much. It feels much more that he is kind of just spotting up a lot. I. I mean, all right. I've got it here. Uh, he's been a pick and roll ball handler five point eight percent of the time, and he's okay. spot. He's spotted up on forty five point four percent. That okay, yeah, and Ariza definitely is a better spot up guy than Bazemore. Um, wow, that's not going to change. Just looking at this now, it it says that he's only had. So I mean, these these are possessions that end in him shooting the ball, but he's only shot the ball twice as a pick and roll ball handler, and he's only shot the ball once as the roll man off a pick and roll. Interesting. Okay, um, I, I do feel like I see him initiating and just dribbling a bit more than I would want uh Ariza that was and I don't know we we at times have wondered where is the offense going to come from when uh Fox is not on the floor and with Bogdanovich being injured recently um and and I think just Bazemore it it just gives you another creator like do you would you prefer Bazemore initiating the offense or Buddy Heald yeah obviously Bazemore, but that, that I think that these arguments are all fallacies because there are just still better people to be initiating the offense. Like it, that's not the choice. That's a false choice. It's a false dichotomy. There, you you can have Bogdan Bogdanovich, you know, initiate the offense. You can have Darren Fox initiate the offense. You can have Corey Joseph initiate the offense. You can have Harrison Barnes initiate the offense. You've talked about how he's been um, a really strong passer for his position. So. At least this year, I mean, I that's I don't think that either is a, is a really a good choice. Are you currently paying off student debt? Interested in improving your financial literacy, or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. Interesting. Okay, so I feel like Bazemore brings a little bit more versatility. I think maybe he's not as good in the specific aspects of hitting the three ball, but what do you feel like is going to be the difference switching from Bazemore to Ariza mainly? For me, the difference is all about athleticism. I, you're definitely right, and don't get me wrong, you are right that Bazemore is a more well-rounded player, but that even that is kind of damning with fake praise because I don't know that he's like really good at, at much of anything right now. Right. Um, so it's like, I mean, I would rather personally have a player that is really, really good at one thing. And I wouldn't even say that Ariza was that. But just just if I got the choice to have a player that had one great skill versus a well-rounded, well, but still well below average at everything um, type of thing. But we see that with Buddy, right? And, like, if we're talking Luke's system, then where he really asks guys to – seemingly put the ball on the floor he wants these wings to be able to create a little bit and make something happen like buddy is a prime example i feel like of having one skill but doesn't really go into what luke wants from wings 
Buddy Hill being misused as badly as he is is still better than than Kent Bazemore being used in an ideal situation. Like Buddy Hield is still hitting, you know, thirty seven something percent of his threes. Buddy Hield is still scoring over twenty points per game. He is still far more useful than Kent Bazemore. I, I think that you're you're selling yourself a little too hard on Bazemore. I, I I just don't I also think that this is a it's a mistake to say well, within within Walton's system, he's going to be better than Ariza. It's like, well, Walton's system is bad. Like, it's really bad. He's done a bad job with this team, and he's losing tons of games. Like, I don't care how well any player fits into Walton's system right now. He needs to change his system. Uh, that's fair. I, I don't like Walton's system, but I think – we're kind of stuck with it and what it is. And I'm not super high on Bazemore. Like you said, I, I do agree. I think he's more well-rounded, but that means that you lose a little bit in the good aspects, uh, quote unquote, good aspects of Trevor Ariza in that three point shooting. And, and you're definitely right with the athleticism. Bazemore is four years younger and he's going to get out and transition a little more. I think he's going to secure 50, 50 balls better than Ariza. And that's definitely a big thing here. Um, but I, I definitely agree with you. I think that Walton's system is flawed and there's a lot of issues to it. But I do think that Bazemore fits a little more. Maybe I'm talking it up and sounding like I'm a little higher on it than I am uh, because we're going over this. But I don't think Bazemore is going to have some massive impact. I think both teams here are coming out about even uh, in this. I, I think Bazemore might be a little bit of a better fit, but it's not like the Kings are taking some leap with this or anything. Yeah, um, I, I do think that Trevor Reza will be, will be better in Portland than he was in Sacramento. Uh, I think Sacramento needed him too much and needed him to do too much. Um, he can kind of just, you know, take a smaller role and just knock down more open threes and, and not be asked to do so much in Portland. Um, and I guess that Maybe the same can be said for Bazemore, where if this team in Sacramento does decide to run, he, that's, that's, you know, going back to my initial point is like, that's the big difference to me is that Bazemore could play in a faster paced offense better than Ariza. Um, he probably feels like a better fit in terms of age and athleticism next to Darren Fox and Buddy Heald than Trevor Ariza was. Certainly, I think we could say that, uh, Bazemore, when he was in his, you know, early twenties, super, super, super bouncy guy. Um, and still retains a good amount of that. Uh, just turned 30. So, you know, obviously not at the peak of his physical skills, but still a pretty bouncy 30 year old. So, you know, I think that he, if, I mean, we don't know. We don't know the deal with the pace for this team. We don't know the plan for. Uh, Bazemore with Luke Walton. We have no real idea of what's going to happen with this team going forward. Um, but I, I could see that, see him being a better fit, I guess. Um, and let me ask you this though, realistically, what does it matter? Um, what does it matter? I mean, this, this season is essentially over. Uh, and I, and I think that Kent Bazemore will be leaving the team after this season. So, does it matter to you at all? I mean, we can talk about Bazemore being a better fit than Ariza. We can talk about his ability. You know, this is something else I noticed, by the way. I just want to throw this out there. 
Um, I was writing about how Bazemore has a much better mid-range game, and he can pull up, he can create his own shot, get a different place on the floor. I noticed that Ariza didn't make a single shot this season on the Kings between three feet and the three-point line. So with, he was at the rim or the three-point line. He was 0 for 20 from three feet to 20-something feet. I know researching him at the beginning of the year that he was always a very high percentage in the in regards to the amount of attempts that were three-pointers. Like He is very good about not having the mid-range as a part of his game. Yeah, it just was a like I feel like just out of pure chance you're gonna make a floater range shot eventually just from right. you know a broken play and oh look you're completely open for this or, or what have you. But uh, Bazemore has been decent in the mid range. He's been terrible at the rim this year though. Baze has. Uh, yeah, it's cleaning the glass, which has that garbage time filter, has it at forty two percent. NBA has it at forty one point five, but that's easily the lowest of his career last year was 57 he's usually about mid 50s but this year he's been terrible at finishing around the rim and he turns the ball over pretty often I I think that he starts to drive and not really have a great plan in what he's going to do so I I do think that Kings fans are going to be frustrated with him at times because turnovers is the last thing that a Sacramento team needs that's already bottom 10 in turnovers per game um, and to answer your question, it doesn't really do anything this year. Like you said, this year is already a failure, really. Um, and the only thing that's going to end up lasting after, and we should mention all these guys are um, expiring contracts aside from Ariza that has that non-guaranteed second year. But the only thing that's going to last after this season, more than likely, is going to be those 2024 and 2025 second round picks. Yeah, so that's I agree with you. And that's what it comes down to. And I know it may be unfair to look at kind of kind of to look at uh, a trade when you know going back in time a little bit but I'm just thinking that essentially what this trade was was the Kings used uh you know 12 something million in space to essentially get two second round picks like that's that's kind of like the the long view of what Trevor Reza was this trade was it's it was twelve million in space for two second round picks. Does that I mean like does that work for you? Doesn't this does this still feel to me that feels like not great? Um but this feels like a decent recovery from a potentially worse use of that money. I don't know. I don't have an issue with it because it's just this year. You know, it's not like going further on. Um so yeah, I mean, that is essentially what you're kind of looking at here. And I guess the Kings open up a roster spot as well, which I don't know what you would do with that. Um, that could just come in handy with a future trade. I know that Woj had tweeted out right after this that the Kings are also still looking to shop Deadman here, um, as we expected. But yeah, that that is mainly what it comes down to, is that you got two seconds to uh, help Portland not pay so much in the luxury tax just this year. And then after this season, um, there's not going to be much left over. Yeah, and that's that's fine. I, it's it's like it's a it's a decent recovery. But I think what bothers me about this trade is not the trade. The trade is totally fine, totally passable, um, a potential positive. But my only concern is that last off season, you know, we sat here and we went through every free agent available. The Kings had, you know, near fifty million dollars in space, and what they've done with it is really very little, almost nothing, considering that it appears that 
Deadman is on his way out as well. Um, basically, you get one more year of Corey Joseph, and that's all that's that that was gotten with that fifty million dollars of space. Because even Rashawn Holmes was signed using uh, an exception, the biannual exception. So that wasn't even that wasn't even cap space that was used to sign him. So really, you took a ton of cap space and you got nothing from it. And the problem with that is it doesn't just come back. Buddy Heald's extension kicks in. Um, you either need to re-sign Bogdan Bogdanovich or at least keep his RFA cap hold or, you know, maybe he's traded. But my point is that you, the Kings are not going to have much cap space at all for a very long time, it seems. It, it seems like unless this team is completely broken up, the core is completely scattered to all the ends of the NBA, this was the Kings' chance to use their cap space effectively, the last chance they had to use cap space effectively um, with this core. So I don't know. That To me, it's it's kind of sad to look back on that and, and to realize that it was probably a failure. Yeah, it, it is. I think it's safe to say that. Um, the Deadman thing is just such a weird situation. Um, you have to think he just wasn't utilized correctly, but at the same time, he was just terrible at basketball. Like... Um, so I don't know. It's kind of hard for me to knock them on that. Um, but they definitely could have handled it better. This Ariza one we kind of knew was an overpay. And I think they did an okay getting somewhat back for him. Um, but yeah, we mentioned it on the last episode with Tim Maxwell. They could have used that as cap space to acquire an asset and Mo Harkless or an asset and TJ Warren. Um, there definitely was better uses of this cap space. And, um, yeah, clearly, I mean, the Woj tweet is that the Kings continue to search for an avenue to unload center Dwayne Dedman, uh, which definitely sounds like there's potential that they are giving up a couple assets. You know, they have plenty of second rounders to offload in order to get rid of Dedman. But, yeah, that, that contract is the most surprising one here to me. Yeah. Um, and, again, like you said, it it – these didn't feel like failures at the time. It it felt like a good off season. It felt like a very good off season. It, really it felt did. it felt like the Kings made at least as far as you and I are concerned, and I would say the majority consensus of Kings analysts were concerned um, that these were three solid veterans. Um, you know, overpays, but not crazy damaging overpays. Kind of like a Sacramento tax situation. Um, and that's just kind of one of those things where you scratch your head and you go, well, this felt, these felt like good moves six months ago and now they feel like failures. And it just feels, I know that other teams in the league, that will happen to other teams in the league, but it just feels so Sacramento Kings for successes to turn to failures within a span of a few months. So I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's pretty grim right now. The Kings are. Uh, just like a few games, uh, really six games out of being the worst team in the league at this point. So they're, you know, the playoffs seem kind of done. Uh, this year seems kind of done. We just crossed the halfway point. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, maybe we should hold out more hope than that, but there's nothing really to grab onto here optimistically. Maybe these two second round picks turn into you know, Manu Ginobili, whatever. Like, we, if, if the Kings start drafting second rounders like they're the Spurs, then, then this is a great trade and there will be hope again in the future. But, again, just not a reason to have a ton of faith, right? 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a lot, definitely not. Um, even just looking at the the past of the Kings drafts, uh, none of it you can really be optimistic about. You know, 2017, George Hill, Zach Randolph, both of them get traded. 2018, I guess you still have Bielitsa and Yogi Ferrell. And then in the most recent offseason, you're looking at Ariza that just got traded. You mentioned Corey Joseph still on the team. And then Deadman uh, requested to be out very quickly into his run. And he was the guy that we were highest on. So, yeah, there there really is not much reason to be optimistic here. Um, and then the other piece that we haven't really mentioned yet is Anthony Tolliver. I mean, uh, do you really expect him to get that much run in Sacramento, if any? I do not expect him to get much run. I think he'll probably get some cursory minutes here or there, maybe fill in for injuries, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, no, I don't, I don't think we'll get much run. Um, he used to be a King in 2016, 17, and, um, he seemed to be like a kind of a mild fan favorite and pretty, pretty, uh, from all appearances, a positive influence in the locker room, but, but that's about it. I mean, that's a very low impact, uh, part of this deal. Definitely. Yeah. He's got 10 DNPs this year on, uh, like we've mentioned, a depleted Blazers roster as long as well as eight games of less than 10 minutes played. Um, don't expect much aside from, like you said, filling in for, say, Bielitsa. He happens to be out Bagley and you just hope that he can come in and knock some threes um, and not much on the defensive end. I guess he is now the veteran presence on this team since Bazemore is a couple years younger than Ariza, four years. And Tolliver is now the journeyman and the veteran presence in the locker room, I guess. Yeah, fair enough. And I think one other thing, um, I don't believe that Tolliver's contract can be aggregated in another trade. So that doesn't even really work. I was thinking that Tolliver could be combined with Deadman to match, you know, Evan Turner or something in a return to the Hawks for Deadman. But even that um, does not seem like an option because Tolliver was signed with the MLE. So he is not able to be aggregated. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Yeah, and so the final kind of aspect of this trade is how it will play into any additional trades coming down the line. Like you mentioned, Woj tweeted out that this could be a precursor to a Deadman move or at least a Deadman move may be coming even if they're not tied together in one way or another. Um, I'll just say for myself that Atlanta has been the team that makes the most sense to me. Even before it was reported that Atlanta was interested, uh, Atlanta is still currently the only team that I'm aware of that has publicly been reported as interested from a credible source. Uh, this trade does complicate that, but, I mean, is there... I don't know. Is there is any other teams come to mind as an option for for Deadman, or do you see anything coming together as a secondary trade after this one? Um, not really based off this one, but the other two teams that come to mind are uh, are the Clippers. We've mentioned the Mo Harkless one. Um, I also think that's just a favorite 
in what the Kings would get in return. And I know that Zubak has been well for them. And obviously they got Harkless there as well. So that could be interesting. Um, and then I think of Dallas is just a name that has been floated around a lot as being aggressive and really trying to get win now. Um, but they do, they're practically already starting two centers and they have another one sitting on their bench. Uh, so it's a little complicated there, but those are the other two teams that initially come to mind when talking Deadman. Yeah, it's getting harder to see what makes sense for Deadman. Um, this move, I mean, we, I honestly, I saw Deadman as an option for Portland, as a strong option for Portland for Baysmore. So, um, and this one certainly mixes that. But end of the day, maybe we just slap a grade on this thing and and call it a call it a podcast, right? Yeah, let's do it. Um, you know, I'll start off here. Um, I got a feeling my grade's going to be a little higher than yours, but I'm not feeling great about it. I think it's a win for the Kings because I think, like I said, you got back a serviceable role player that I think will be better off um, than Trevor Ariza, and you got two draft picks. I'll give it a B minus. Huh. Okay. Well, we actually are on the exact same page. I I actually already wrote and submitted a trade grade to the Sacramento Bee. Should be coming out um, as soon as this trade clears officially on Tuesday, and I gave it a B minus. Okay. It's a, it's a positive, right? It, I, I mean, it's not huge, but it's a it's, plus. It's a positive, but it's not enough of a positive for me to care, really. So that's fair. Like that's the thing is like it accomplishes the goals that they wanted to accomplish, but the goals are so small that I just can't. There is no true downside to this trade, but there's also very little upside. It's it's just it's just two second round picks that may like very well may be of no value. Right. Um, yeah. Like you mentioned, if they could draft like uh, if they could draft like San Antonio or Golden State, but uh, the matter of fact is that we're talking about the Sacramento teams, not one of the better front offices in the NBA. So more than likely not, but uh, I- I'm liking I'm liking Bazemore. I think that he's going to give you a little bit more effort out there than what you saw from Ariza and the big things. I mean, you mentioned the athleticism. I think he can play make a little bit more, even though he's going to turn over the ball at times. That's going to be frustrating. Um, but really, I, I think that you're going to get 50-50 balls a little bit more, which which will help Sacramento a couple games here and there. Yep. it's To me, the player, player-wise, it's close to a wash and then it's it's just the picks for me, but then again, I mean, I'll just mention this as well. Those picks may may just be sold for cash too. So this could end up being right. just a finance for finance type of deal, and that's why I can't give it even a full B. Totally fair. Um, you know, you posted a picture uh, of a pickle pizza. Have you tried this? What is wrong with you? If I could get my hands on one, I would believe me. I'd be trying it. I, would you I actually. Think this is an East Coast thing, or it's not like an anywhere thing. It's just some weird. It should be a thing. Yeah, no, yeah, I would absolutely try that. It sounds great. I love. I hope that it's actually just potatoes, and that's like Photoshop because potato slices on pizza are great. No, it's a real thing. You can Google it. There, you can find the the restaurant on the East Coast that does this. Do you just like fall asleep to like googling pictures of weird pizza? Often, Um, and I mean, (laughs) and it's look, it's got that ranch on the side think think about that come on that's good i hate pickles 
Pickles on pizza dipped in ranch. That's absolutely doing it for me. Ranch so you, is good, but pickles? No. What's no. like the weirdest pizza you've ever had? The weirdest pizza I've ever had. Um, oh, I don't know. I used to serve at a pizza place specifically. So people put make some weird things. Um, man, I don't really have like a weird pizza though. You're the pizza guy here. There's um a great pizza place in San Francisco. I used to live next to it called Pizza Orgasmica. And <laughs> they do some wild shit there. Um they ha- they have one that's really incredible. It's shredded chicken and corn and a white sauce. Okay. That's very good. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. And that- I think I mentioned this before with Tim, but the worst pizza I ever had was in Colombia, South America. Uh, where they put raisins on their cheese pizza, Ooh. and that shit is extremely whack. Yeah, I don't know if that sounds better or worse than pickles. Yeah, that, that's that's pretty terrible. Yeah, no, but white sauces on pizza are definitely the way to go. If it's combined really? with the white stuff, it, with the right stuff, <laughs> that white stuff. Yeah, that was that was not great. Do you like? <laughs> do you enjoy corn? Do I like corn on pizza? Yeah. Um, or, no, no, no. Just like, in, do you like corn? Like, is corn I like corn on the cob with salt and butter for sure. Like corn niblets. Like, are you cool with that? If you're, you know, I'm cool filling up your plate. Yeah, yeah. I think you might like this corn and white sauce and shredded chicken pizza. Uh, it, and it's like a cornmeal crust. It's pretty good. And then before, I know you, we, we got to run the 49ers are just starting here. Hopefully plenty of you Kings fans listening are 49ers fans and can enjoy uh, a little bit of playoff football, but if you're a Raider fan, unsubscribe. I mean, you already have probably. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I mean, poor, those poor guys have already lost their team to Las Vegas. I respect, <laughs> I really respect Raider Nation. I'm a man with no home in terms of football. I don't really have a team. It's really because care. you like terrible teams. Well, I, I can't, I'm just, I'm really enamored with the Raiders. I, I really am. I love their colors. I love their logo. It's really, I'm really interested in it. But, I won't, I, I'm not going to get off into that one second. I just got to know, are you down with like barbecue chicken pizzas? Because I was just hearing mm. some people talking about this. Like, if, is that an abomination to you? Would you rather just go like cheese and pepperoni every time? Oh, I'd much rather go cheese and pepperoni. Like, I don't like barbecue sauce. I was just talking about this earlier today. You don't I, like barbecue sauce? No, I don't period. like tomato so I don't like ketchup or like many things with tomato. Tomato is just okay, a no like regular me. pizza sauce. No, like if there's red That's sauce, just with, tomatoes. You're right. Brandon. You're right. You're right. I'm totally aware of this. But red sauce, if it's just not that much of it with other things, I'm totally fine here. If there's a pizza with a lot of red sauce, I'm not into it. I yes. So I don't like barbecue sauce. So I'm not into this barbecue and chicken. I'll, all right, we'll leave this for next time, but I am personally deeply offended that you don't like barbecue <laughs> sauce. Like, the podcast is in danger of ending. Barbecue sauce is life. Barbecue sauce is everything. Sweet baby rays for the win. I can't believe it. Yeah, uh, no, barbecue sauce is a hard pass for me. And, like, ketchup with my fries is a no-go. Yeah, not a... I'm a tomato guy in any sort of way. You like that white stuff. Probably putting uh, mayonnaise <laughs> on those fries, aren't you? No, ranch. Ranch. You mentioned ranch earlier. Ranch is good. Ranch is the go-to dipping sauce. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Well, thanks to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. Hear from us again in the next couple days.